0: Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day, for this passage, for this lesson. Lord, put me behind the cross. Let your words and your thoughts be mine. And if I misspeak, forgive me. Let your message be heard in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, we'll be in verses 11 through 32. So there was this really long railroad bridge in close to Mobile, Alabama. And on a very foggy morning, September 22, 1993, a tugboat was shoving a barge across out into there, and the barge got away from it, and it hit the bridge. It was dark and foggy, so they couldn't tell how much damage had happened to the bridge. Someone radioed the Coast Guard to come out and check it out. But shortly after that, an Amtrak train on, uh, on the way from Los Angeles to Miami was coming along at 70 miles an hour, and they hit the bridge, and the weight of the train with the damaged bridge caused the bridge to collapse. There were 210 passengers on board. The, first, the, the three engines and the first four of the train's eight passenger cars fell into the alligator-infested water miles from land. The darkness and the fog was thickened by the fire and the smoke. And there the victims lay, waiting. Helicopters were called and they ended up saving 163 persons that day. But one rescue stands out. Gary and Mary Chancy were waiting in one of the rail cars that were underwater with their eleven year old daughter. The car shifted and the water started coming in very fast. And so they found a little portal, and they were able to, to lift their 11-year-old daughter up through the portal to the rescuers to be saved. And then they drowned. What a picture of salvation that is. You see, their daughter had cerebral palsy, so by our standards, she was not perfect. But she was perfect to them. And that's how Jesus felt about us on the cross that day. That's called grace. Our sermon text is Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And it says, Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quick, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and he replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered, His father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Praise be to God. God. So I called today's sermon from, gra- from, from disgrace to grace. So one of the conversations that went on over the last couple of Wednesdays as we finished up Reconnect, we had to start a new study. And one of the things that came out is that we, we talk about grace and we hear about grace, but it's not often we get explained what grace is. We don't get a, a better understanding of grace and, and Wesleyan grace for that matter. So the next two weeks, we're going to talk about grace in church. So this is probably one of the better known passages in Luke. It's preached on a lot, the prodigal son. I remember as I was getting started in youth ministry in Van Alstine, and they invited me to, to speak to the FCA. And I didn't know a lot of people there, still learning the kids, and they invited me in. And so I used this passage, and I posed the questions to the kids, who are you in this story? Are you the father? Are you the returning son Or are you the older brother? Something to think about. Who are you in the story? Something for us to think about today. Who are you in the story? And after studying the passage for a while, it seemed to me that the focus of the story might be the father rather than the prodigal son. The father shows this amazing grace by welcoming his wayward son back into the home. Now, we know that the parables of Jesus were all situational. Jesus gave them to us to learn, to understand things better, um, to help people with life. Well, the Pharisees didn't like the idea of Jesus hanging out with sinners, right? Jesus hung out with everyone, and it made them uncomfortable. But Jesus, uh, people who were considered sinners were looked upon very unfavorably, and they even had a name they called them. They called them the people of the land. How many of us are the people of the land, the sinners, the, the, the ones who make mistakes, misjudgments? Anyway, so these regu- there were these regulations that concerned them because they were a lesser people. They weren't as good as the Pharisees. They weren't as good as the normal people. So there were rules and, and regulations that concerned them. Like they couldn't be trusted with money. Don't trust them with money. Don't trust them with, with um, uh, your confidences. Their word means nothing. They couldn't take care of orphans or charitable funds. They couldn't be in your company on a journey. So if you're going to go somewhere, don't take them with you. The Pharisees couldn't have them as guests, and they couldn't be guests in their homes. Pharisees couldn't. It was forbidden forbidden to do any kind of business with the people of the land. You see, the Pharisees would rather see those sinners destroyed by God than to see them reconciled to God. But that wasn't what Jesus thought. Jesus hung out with them. Jesus hung out with the sinners and the lepers and the sick. But Jesus didn't act like the Pharisees, he didn't think like the Pharisees. Are we people of the land? How horrible must it be to have your identity mean nothing? I know I personally have made huge mistakes, still make huge mistakes. Every single day. I'm thankful that I haven't been cast out. That I haven't been devalued. Jewish laws were brutal, friends. So if we look at this parable... I say I saw it as the story of the loving father. So if things had gone like they were supposed to, the father would have died at some point, and the older son would have got two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would have gotten one-third of the inheritance, right? Being the firstborn, there were perks to that, right? Be the firstborn if you can be. Now, if the father... Wants to just retire and not do all the work of the land. He could still divide up the inheritance and just stay there. That was part of the deal. But that's not how this story played out. The young son decides he wants to go his own way. He's tired of living in the home. Tired of living with the father. He wants his money and he's enti- that he's entitled to when the old man dies. Entitlement. Get that? Wealth and privilege and possessions don't always have to be earned. Some people are just entitled to them, right? We know that in this Society that we live in. Long story short, somebody got too big for their britches. That's what happened here. So he leaves. And he lives this life uh, of, ch- of his choice with no regard to the father, no regard to the family, no regard to anybody. He goes and lives this life. And then one day it's all gone. The money, all the all the valuable stuff that he had, the friends that were probably hanging on, to him the whole time they're all gone so he has to get a job and he gets a job tending pigs now we know that the Jewish folks can't eat pork right so tending to the pigs is a nasty it's a nasty job if you can't eat bacon right even if you enjoy that stuff with all of your fiber it's a nasty job pigs are the worst pigs and chickens (laughs) but it was considered the lowest job and he thinks, even my dad treats his health better than they're treating me. And then it says that he, he decides to go back, right? And, and think about this. It says that the father was waiting and watching for his son to return. And the scripture tells us that when he saw him, he ran to him. Now think about it. I mean, I've got this robe on, and this thing is heavy, and it's hot. But that full Jewish garb went from the neck to the ground. It went all the way to the ground. And so this old man, didn't say how old he is, but he had to lift up his robe. And he's probably running across this terrain, this terrible terrain, in sandals or barefoot or whatever he had at the time. But it was important that he took off running to meet that boy. And before the son could pitch the idea to dad about, let me work for you. The dad cuts him off, and he hugs him, and he covers him with a robe, and he puts a ring on his finger, and he sends the the message out, we got to cook up some dinner tonight. It's going to be a party to top all celebrations. And in an instant, the son moved from disgrace to grace. He realized his sin, and he turned away from the sin, and he returned to the Father. How long do you think the dad was standing there waiting for him, looking, just looking into abyss, waiting for the sun to come over the hill? How many days did he go home sad and distraught, worried that the boy was even alive? Was he killed? I wonder if our father is standing, looking over the hill, waiting on us to return. How many of us haven't returned yet? Abraham Lincoln always had the best quotes. Somebody asked him how he was planning on dealing with the rebellious Southerners when they were defeated. He said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. So that's the end of the story, right? Dad hugs him, they have this big party. No, it's not the end of the story. The older brother enters the picture and he is furious about the brother returning. And that father welcomed him in. And like the Pharisees, like the Pharisees, he would rather see his brother destroyed than than reconciled to the family. He left. He took the stuff. It was his choice. He made a bad decision. Be done with him. Let him die. But the desires of the older sons or the sins committed by the returning son did not interfere with the father's forgiveness. God's love always wins, friends. Always. The younger brother didn't get kicked while he was down. He was given a do-over. We serve a God of do-overs. We have a God of second chances. Genesis 9, God established the new covenant with Noah and his sons. In Mark 1, Jesus tells us to repent and believe. In 1 Peter 3, we are reminded that Jesus' death was for all of our sins. All of our sins. We get a do-over. We get a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. God just continues to give us chances. He's looking over the hill saying, come home. Where are they at? I'm encouraging you today to move from disgrace to grace, to return to the Father. Leave the sin. Point your head back toward home and look for the Father. Father.